Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. I'm going to go back to John 13 for a minute because this is that sixth attribute of what uh, clearly the Bible defines as a disciple in the scriptures. How do we know based on what we clearly have been seeing through these verses? How do we know what a disciple is? Jesus tells us. He reveals to us through the scriptures of what we see of the elements within a person's life. Obviously, who is a disciple? Now, remember, they've come to convert stage. I believe most of you have already clearly come through that. Conversion from that old basic lifestyle of a sinner, converting to walking with God. Then you come to the epistle stage where you're learning who you are. I think we all can still develop a little bit more than that. But obviously you can be a disciple and learn even more still about who you are in Christ. The greatest truth about what you could ever learn is who the new man is on the inside. The biggest problem for most believers to really walk out and be a living letter of who they are in Christ is, they don't see it as already so. They're still seeing themselves from the perspective of the natural, the, the carnal, the flesh, and they're not seeing in relationship to who God says they are. I was uh, sharing with the young man this afternoon, uh, you know, this is powerful when you understand it. You're not going to be any more holy and any more one with God than you are right now. Right. And a lot of people are still trying to become more one with God and more holy. Nope, you're a spirit. <clears throat> Your spirit is one with God, one spirit with the Lord, the Bible says. And therefore, guess what? It's already holy. It's already been set apart or the Holy Spirit couldn't live in there. What we want to do is we want to get that guy coming out. We want to get that guy to have a coming out party and, and truly put on that new man. Amen? And that's what being the third stage of a walk with Christ is all about, being a disciple. Living like the Savior and walking in the light of what he taught us. So here we are down to the sixth attribute of what the Bible says a disciple is. We've already looked at the previous five. I'm not going to review all those again tonight. John 13, 34. Jesus said, say Jesus said. Jesus said a new commandment. Now, he, if you want to put it in context, 33 said little children talking to his the disciples that he was with, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you. As I'm leaving, I'm giving you this commandment that you would now love one another as what? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we clearly know it's not just loving one another, it's as he loved us. So we define love based on what the Bible teaches us. God's love is. That's what we're doing. Verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now tonight I'm going to show you if I get there, I'm planning on getting there. We'll see how things go because I never know. I kind of follow the leading of God, of course. But uh, I'm going to show you clearly why this would be true in the life of a disciple. Notice again, by this, how many? All. Tell me out loud. All. So this goes beyond the church. This isn't just the body of Christ would know this. He said, by this, all will know. I'm going to show you why that's true. I'm going to refer back to that later tonight if I get there. 
If I don't, I'll do it next Sunday because Wednesday we're going to have a special Valentine's service. So by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. So I'm going to show you another reason why that's true here in just a little bit. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't know, relating to, a lot of times, like we'll just make a reference, you know, go to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you know. Well, realize this, who was he writing to? The church. Corinthians. Yes. Corinthians. So think about the history of the Corinthian church. Why were the Corinthian church, why was the Corinthian church getting a long dissertation on the love of God? Because they weren't walking in the love of God. Now they had a zeal for God. They had a great zeal for God, a great passion, a great desire for God, and even the gifts. But guess what they weren't doing? Walking in love. And so he's having to address this with the Corinthian church so that they aren't dealing with false signs and wonders, as you're going to see, but that they're walking in the true signs and wonders of God. You ever wondered why Jesus said to those who came to him, said, but we prophesied in your name, cast out demons, da, da, da. He said, depart from me, for I never knew you. What do you mean, I never, what is he saying, I never knew you? I'm going to tell you why, because you weren't doing it in love. And the truth is, the Bible talks about false signs and wonders that look like God, but aren't God. How do you know if it's truly God or not? Well, obviously, you won't in relationship to the motive of the person. You can based on the scriptures, but guess what? That motive of the person is what determines whether they're truly doing it in God or not. And it's based on love. We're going to show you that. So we're going to define love for you further again. So back to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Love does what? Suffers long. It is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked and thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in inequity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Sixteen things that he revealed that love is. And in truth, when, you, when you're talking about this as it relates to love, what are we really talking about? God. Amen. It's a definition really of God himself. Because God is love, as we've already shown, 1 John chapter 4. God is love, verse 3. So guess what? It's a definition of God. But it's also a definition of you. Because that love's in you. It's who you are in the new nature. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so on these notes, I included the amplified version to actually have a way to study it even a little further. In verse 4 of the amplified, it says, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, and does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and it does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. I'll read that again. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not what? Self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. So all you touchy, fretful, or resentful people start walking in love. It's not touchy, fretful, or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention, in other words, to a suffered wrong. It, six, it does not rejoice in, at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person, 
Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Verse 8, love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. And we'll probably see this tonight, but at the end of the chapter, of course, we're going to read it later. It is of the three things he said to live in now, the three key things you and I are supposed to be walking in now, faith, hope, and love. The greatest, love, because faith and hope rely on it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you can have hope in a promise or hope in what God has given you in relationship to his word about what you know you can expect to have happen. You got to have faith to connect with it, but without love again, it won't work. It won't work. So we'll try to get to that later tonight. Let me just quick review because I went over all eight of these, the first eight with you this morning, and then we'll flip over on the back and go through the others. But I already read these for you. Love does what? Number one, suffers long. So when you define these from the actual Greek text of the language there, here's what I'm giving you. I'm giving you what are the definitions of what these actually mean. To suffer long means what? It is patient toward all men with humble submission to the will of God. You got to underline that last statement. To be patient with all men, you're not going to do that without what? Humble submission to the will of God. The reason a lot of people are not really honestly, uh, the first part of that, the reason a lot of people are not patient toward old men, because they are not what? They're not submitted to the will of God. But if we submit to the will of God, clearly we're going to be patient with what? All men. Now, patient doesn't mean, don't, don't take this to mean that love just keeps on trying to help somebody that doesn't really seem to want the help. No, we got scripture that says you don't cast your pearl before swine. So we're not saying love in the sense of suffering long means that you keep doing things that the Bible tells you not to do. But what it means is, is that we are not going to quote unquote at any time in our life, all of a sudden just say somebody's without change, can't change, not going to happen. You don't know that because they still could at some point. <laughs> But God's going to have to be the one to deal with them. Number two, love is also what? It's kind. Boy, could we use some kindness in our, in our society today. <clears throat> kindness means it's what? Tender and compassionate. And it also what? Creates trouble for no one. Obviously, if you're walking in the kindness of God's love, you're not out to create trouble. You're tender and compassionate towards others. Three, love does not what? Does not envy. Meaning, it is not grieved because of what another person may possess, naturally or spiritually. Because what? It rejoices when people get blessed. It rejoices when people see things working in their life. It doesn't envy and get grieved because of what somebody else has. Four, love does not what? Doesn't parade itself. Does not what? Desire to be noticed or applauded, but wants God to be all in all. So let me just let me just throw this out here again. Realize that it's easy to say that I'm not trying to draw attention to me, and yet people sometimes do without knowing it because they're trying to find value and worth in the acknowledgement of others. By words they say, constantly talking about themselves, what they've done, what they've accomplished, how, how they've done this, done that, whatever. But love doesn't do that. Love doesn't parade itself. It doesn't desire to be noticed, doesn't desire to be applauded, but it wants what? God to be all in all. I like something relating to even in ministry, fivefold ministry, Dr. Summerall said about this. Uh, Dr. Summerall said, uh, you know, a lot of times you got ministers going around with self-proclaimed titles. I'm apostle so-and-so, I'm prophet so-and-so. But see, that's a desire to be noticed or applauded. He said, I don't even like people calling me apostle Summerall. I accept it because God calls me that. But I don't run around saying I'm Apostle Summerall, I'm the prophet. No, he said, I could care less about titles. 
All I want to do is do the work of God. Amen. I don't need a title. He, and at the time he said that, he was back in South Bend with another church, pastoring the church. He said, I know I'm a pastor, but I don't even know that I like being called a pastor. You can just call me Brother Summerall because I'm not into titles. So realize that, uh, again, love doesn't try to do anything to be noticed or applauded. It simply wants God to be all in all. Amen? Five, love is not what? It's not puffed up. It is not inflated with a sense of its own importance. It is not inflated with a sense of its own importance. For it knows that it deserves nothing of benefit given by God. Really listen to that statement. It is not inflated with a sense of its own importance. Well, what would that mean? That I deserve for God to heal me. I deserve for God to bless me because of what I've done. Look what I've done. Or people who would say, well, I know we got results in prayer because let me tell you how many hours I put into prayer about praying about that. That's not love and that wasn't God using you because I guarantee you that means you're going to take the glory for it. Talking about how many hours you prayed or what you did. Love doesn't do that. In essence, one way to say it too is love doesn't think it's more spiritual than somebody else. Doesn't get, doesn't get caught up with all that. Why? Because it is not puffed up. It's not going to try to promote itself in any way and knows therefore it deserves nothing of benefit given by God. Meaning that I don't deserve anything that God gives me, but I don't get it because I deserve it. I get it because I'm a child of God. Because I have a right to it as a child of God. Number six, love does not do what? Does not behave rudely. Tell your neighbor, don't be rude anymore. <clears throat> Notice it does not what? It doesn't act out of place or character. Think about that. It means it doesn't act out of place or character, showing forth what? Good manners, never intentionally offending others. So if we act out of the character and nature that's within us, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to be rude. Now, that don't mean, again, you're not truthful to the days of which Jesus lived. The religious leaders thought he was pretty rude because he addressed them directly about their deception. And stuff, but he was telling them the truth. That's a different whole issue. But he wasn't trying to intentionally offend them. He was trying to open their eyes up to the truth that he was the Messiah. So clearly it doesn't mean you may not ever say something that somebody gets offended by, but you weren't saying it to offend them. You, you, you know, the, if, uh, I've told you this for years, right? Offense is not given. Offense is taken. So you can get offended by so many things today. I mean, my gosh, everybody seems to be not all of you. I'm just saying everybody in the world seems to be offended by something today, you know. And now we got to tear down that statue and get rid of this monument and, and deal with these people and do all this. It, isn't it amazing? Which is true. I mean, it's just true of deception. Shouldn't, shouldn't shock you. You know, the people that say that every, all you Christians need to be more tolerant are the very ones that are what? Intolerant. They don't want Christians around. They want to eliminate Christians. And yet they're claiming that we're all supposed to be tolerant with one another. Uh, number seven of these 16 things, love does not what? Doesn't seek its own. It is never satisfied. This is what it means. This is, this is powerful. It's never satisfied. Love never is truly satisfied, fulfilled, except in the welfare and salvation of all. It is never satisfied except in the welfare and salvation of all. In other words, love, not seeking its own, isn't happy with just what uh, is achieved in your life. It's always wanting to see others get uh, their life better, to see what the God has available for them come to pass in their life. No true Christian is for his own happiness alone. Not caring about the outcome of those in the world. 
Because if you truly walk in the love of God, guess what? You have such a passion and desire to see other people know Jesus. I think the difficulty for us sometimes here in the day we live in, and it's clear according to what Scripture reveals what happened in the day we're in today. you got to understand that we're in a fallen uh, time frame of, of uh, history, really according to Scripture, love of many growing cold, lawlessness abounding. you got to be careful that you don't get frustrated with the fact that you want to see people know Jesus, but it just doesn't seem like a lot of people want to. And I'll guarantee you, that doesn't mean there aren't some that do. Are you listening? Don't take that to mean that obviously there's nobody left. Because if there wasn't Jesus, I believe, I guarantee you would have come and got us by now. But I'm going to tell you, like our pastor says, you know, don't look for popularity today. Because guess who the least popular person is on the planet today? Jesus. And if you walk with him, you're not real popular. But we're not trying to win a popularity contest. But it doesn't change the passion that we have to want to see people converted. If you start losing that passion to see others converted because you're getting frustrated that it seems like nobody wants to, you're stepping out of love. And that's not good. Number eight, love is not what? It's not provoked. It's not what? Irritated. Tell your neighbor, stop being irritated. Love is not irritated, even at a stoplight that's not changing as fast as you want it to be. Even in a long line that's not moving as quick as you want it to be. Right? Or at the grocery store because they don't have what you need. Or even at our current government system. No, it's not irritated. Why? Because it's uh, clearly, it's not uh, something that's, excuse me, it is not irritated. It's not made sour or bitter because love is what? It's calm. It's serious, it's patient, restraining one's temper and feelings. It's calm. Even in the midst of all that's going on, it doesn't rob you. You should not rob. If you're walking in love, you're not going to get provoked by what's going on because you're still walking in love. You're, you're walking in a calm peace and an acknowledgement that God's going to take care of you. You're going to be patient and you're going to restrain your temper and feelings at every stoplight, every grocery store, and everywhere else you go in, the, in this world. Amen? All right, now moving to the back of the page, we'll go over the other eight tonight. Number nine, love thinks no evil. Say it, please. So when people say, yeah, but I have, I have some thoughts sometimes that aren't real good. Let me help you. Those aren't yours. Any thought that you would have that is not in line with the nature of God is not your thought. Now, wait a minute. I thought it, Pastor. No, your soul did. Your mind did. You listening? But guess what? Your spirit doesn't think those things. So love thinks no evil. It does not keep a record of the wrongs done to it. And it does not assume evil intent without proof. I'm going to read that again. It does not assume evil intent without proof. A lot of times, even in marriages, people get mad at each other and upset at each other because they think the intent of what their spouse did was intentional to try to harm them when many times it is not. But you're getting out of love and you're going into the flesh and this causes more problems than good. I never understood yet why, and even though I've gone through it myself, isn't it amazing that we know that to dispute with one another to complain with one another and to argue with one another. Anybody ever done that in any relationship you've ever been in at all? So like half of you. I'm going to give an altar call for liars at the end of tonight's service. So if you've ever done that, ask yourself this question. How did it better the relationship? It didn't. Then why do we want to do that? Why do we want to do that? 
Well, I don't, but this person does. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, you're not responsible for what they do. You're responsible for what you do. So it does not keep a record of the wrongs done. Keep bringing up the past of what somebody else has done to you that was wrong. And it does not assume evil intent without proof. If you forgive, what does that mean? If somebody wronged you, why would I not keep a record of the wrong? It doesn't mean I don't remember it. But what do I do? What does love do? Love says I ignore that. I'm not going to pay attention to that. Because if I've forgiven, what does it really mean I've forgiven? It's behind us. I put it in the past. I know none of you ever have. I have with Kathy before. I said, you always do this. I know none of you have ever said that to anybody. But I have said that to Kathy before. That's not walking in love. Because you're talking about a past issue of something that I'd already forgiven her of. So realize it does not keep a record of the wrong done. And therefore, it does not assume evil intent by anybody. Without proof. It doesn't mean that if somebody clearly had evil intent to do somebody harm, that that wouldn't be the case necessarily, but it does not assume that. You know what assumption is, right? What's assumption? It is the lowest form of knowledge on the planet. And how much we live by on this planet as believers even through assumption. We assume. We assume we know. We assume what they were desiring to do. We assume we understand what they were thinking or not thinking. You know, I tell you, man, you're going to get yourself in trouble in relationships when you start assuming you think. That's right. That's right. That's right. That you know that you obviously are recognizing what they're doing as a way that you understand them and their thinking. No, you're not them. That's right. you're, you're not them. So quit trying to act like you're them. Be you. Deal with you and quit trying to assume what everybody else is trying to do. Number 10, I can see you're getting more excited as we go through them. <laughs> love does not rejoice in inequity. Say it, love does not rejoice in inequity. It, in other words, it does not celebrate nor promote anything that is unrighteous, false, and opposed to God's truth. Because love, as we've talked about, does what? Speaks the truth. So it does not rejoice or celebrate or promote anything that is unrighteous, false, and opposed to God's truth. So let's apply this to the current uh, issues with transgender and all that stuff. Number one, uh, realize again that that's not really the primary issue with a person like that. The issue is whether they're born again or not. If their heart gets changed, as I've seen, guess what? They'll start getting convicted of such things. But you got to understand something. It doesn't then say, okay, we're going to celebrate now their lifestyle. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't celebrate that which is wrong in the sight of God. You listening? I mean, today it's public knowledge. Today, even the Pope is now actually acknowledging same-sex marriages. But see, that's not love. That's not the love of God because the love of God does not rejoice in any form of that which is inequity or wrong in the sight of God. And realize again, does God hate that actual sinner? No, he hates the sin because it hurts their life. So we don't rejoice in wrongdoing. And today's times, man, we're seeing what scripture said would happen, right? They're calling good evil and evil good. But even some Christians are. You know, there's a lot of so-called, well, and I really, I shouldn't use that term that way. There's a lot of people born again who even say church is evil, meaning that church is ridiculous. I'm not going back to that bondage. I don't have to go to church. Jesus is my shepherd. You're calling something God said is good in your life as something that's not right. That's evil. That's, in, that's, that's literally not what love would do because that's rejoicing in inequity. Rejoicing in something that's not true. Amen. 
God clearly knows that what is truth is what you and I need to stand by, and that's what love does. Eleven, love rejoices therefore in what? Because it does not rejoice in inequity. What does it do? It rejoices in the truth. It rejoices when right and truth prevail. When people walk in moral excellence, and it is grieved when they do not. And I'm going to tell you why love is grieved when people do not walk in what we know is right in the sight of God. Because, we're, because ultimately, what are they doing? They're grieving the Holy Spirit. They're actually, in, in, in essence, not listening to the Holy Spirit who's trying to keep them out of such destructive. I'm not just talking about that lifestyle we were talking about. not anything that is obviously not of the truth. The reason that the love of God is grieved when people do things that are not of the truth is because they're hurting their life. So love again rejoices in truth, rejoices when right and truth prevail and when people walk in moral excellence and is grieved when they do not obviously do so. Now, let me, you know, the Lord just nudges me on this. There's a lot I still see with Christians on social media blasting homosexuality. You're not going to change them by doing that. You're not going to change them by doing that. You know what their problem is? I believe salvation. Salvation. I'm not going to say that there couldn't be somebody born again and really, really, really deceived and get back off into that lifestyle maybe, but that's pretty rare. That's pretty rare. The problem is the heart issue. If you want to really address the issue, share salvation with them. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying if somebody says, well, I believe God thinks it's okay. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible very clearly says God does not think it's okay. But isn't it amazing that Jesus never, ever in all the Gospels can we find an incident where he went up to somebody, and I'll guarantee you there were people in his day as well who obviously weren't living the kind of lifestyle God wanted them to live. He never, we don't see any example of him coming up and saying, hey, you need to stop sleeping around with this other guy, guy, or you know, dealing with homosexuality. He never did. He just preached the truth about what you could do to get born again, come into the kingdom, and that's what would change a life. Amen? Amen. So again, love does what? It rejoices in the truth. Number 12, you ready for this one? It bears all things. Say it bears all things. What does that mean? It does not go around. Here we go. It does not go around revealing the faults and failures of others. For love covers what? So bearing all things here means, again, this is because suffering long deals with how people treat you. Bearing all things here means that I don't take something, that love doesn't take something that it knows of another and then go out and reveal it to the whole world. No, it'll bear that. It'll keep it to itself. Love's not going to try to expose it and make sure everybody else knows about it. Nope. It's going to do what? Cover a multitude of sins. As I already told you this morning, does that mean that I don't talk to them if I am around them and know them about what they're doing that's a sin? No. Love speaks the truth. So it's going to obviously talk, but it means you, what you know of an individual, of the wrong they're doing, you don't go talk to other people. We need to stop taking personal, people's personal lives to other people who are not a resolve to that problem. You listening? To talk about their life. We don't need to be doing that. Truth is, if you know of something that somebody's doing wrong and you start going to somebody else that obviously cannot help you, if you're not in a position of relationship with that person, Right? It's just another believer that you know them. And yet you're still going around to other people telling them about that. You're not walking in love. Amen? Because the truth is, should I even take that to a leadership of the church? Only if it's hurting the church. But beyond that, if it's something that's going on that's hurting the church, the Bible does tell us that we're supposed to bring this to leadership. 
But again, it's not going to other people in the church and telling other people in the church. If we would stop doing that, we'd see a whole lot more people healed and helped. So again, love does what? It bears all things, not going around revealing the faults and failures of others. It covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad that yours are covered? Should be. Or by God. 13, love does what? Oh, think about that. It believes all things. Now, of course, love is referring here in how we relate to other people. So it is what? It is ever ready, as it said in the Amplified, to believe what? It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. And it will credit no one with evil without the most positive evidence. So it doesn't mean in society, if somebody murdered somebody, should they stand trial and be dealt with if they did so? Yeah. Should that be exposed? Yeah, absolutely, to protect people from such a person. But what it means is, is we're not going to just go claim everything about other people again without actual positive evidence that what we're saying is obviously evil or wrong is proven to be true. But it's going to believe what? The best of every person. And therefore credits no one with evil without the most positive evidence evidence. So clearly even in the New Testament there were times that the disciples talked about those who were doing the church wrong which was evil. But it was a proven fact. And they were doing it to talk to the church to protect them against those people. That's not walking out of love because clearly we wouldn't have that in scripture being told to us by the apostle Paul and others. He talked about those who had wronged them. Named them. And said beware of these people because they've harmed us and they've harmed the church. So that's not exposing wrong. That's actual proof of what they've been doing to try to stop the church. He's warning them to protect them. Not to go tell them about some evil aspect of their personal life. It wasn't about them personally. It was about what they were doing to harm the church. 14. Love does what? How many? Hopes all things. Love holds out hope for change to come. For everybody. Doesn't mean they will, but love continues to hold out hope for change to come, even for those whose conduct may not seem proper. It longs to see one's life change for the better. Now, I got to throw in here again, that does not mean love becomes the best of friends with everybody who's not living correctly, living right, and therefore just continues to hang out with them and spend all kinds of time with them when they show that they don't have a desire to change. No, it doesn't. Love will not, though, lose sight of the hope that maybe one day down the road, I'm still believing, hopefully, maybe, their eyes will be open and they will change. You don't know the heart of the man, so you don't know if they will or not. So it just simply, we don't, what this is saying here, to hope all things means, here's another way to say it. We don't label them damned, you're going to hell. We don't do that. It holds out hope that maybe they'll get born again. But again, that doesn't mean we stay in close fellowship because we got all kinds of verses in the New Testament warning us about certain people we should not be around. Right. Right. <clears throat> Do you know the Bible said, <clears throat> excuse me, if you know of a believer who's living in open adultery to not even have, have a meal with them. Wow. New Testament. <clears throat> wow. if, I know of a belie- if I knew of a believer that is married and they're living in open adultery, not ashamed of it, living in open adul- adultery with somebody else and not even ashamed that they're doing it, guess what I'm not supposed to do? I'm not even supposed to go eat a meal with them. Thus saith the New Testament. That's still love because we're honoring the truth. Amen? But again, it doesn't mean we think now they're damned for hell. No, no, no option for them to get born again. No option for them to get saved. No, you keep holding out hope. May their eyes be open to the reality of what they're doing and change in Jesus' name. 15, love, love. Come on, 15, read it. Love endures all things. 
Turn your neighbor and say, hi there, enduring one. <laughs> What's that mean? It bears up, listen, it bears up under all persecutions. Oh, 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 oh. And it never says of any trial, affliction, or insult, this cannot be endured. I'm going to read that like three more times. <clears throat> Love bears up under all persecutions, even in the home, even in the marriage. Even in the job. Amen. You know, if I had a boss that was just really, really nasty, mean to me, whatever, I'd be believing God for changing my boss and or a new job. But I'd be asking God, what do I need here? Right? Get a direction from the Holy Spirit. Do, do I need to be looking for somewhere else to work? Or are you going to change this person? But you got to bear up under what? All persecutions. Didn't Jesus? How many times was he lied about? <clears throat> right? How many, how many times was he constantly being addressed in context, context to where he was about things that were false, not true, being mistreated? <clears throat> I mean, after his first sermon, they tried to take him to the hill of a city and throw him off. So love endures what? <clears throat> Tell me out loud. So if you're thinking right now, I don't see how that's possible, Pastor. That's because you're still too carnally aware of your old fleshly nature. The more spiritual conscience you become, the more you realize this is doable. That's right. Amen. This is doable. If you're flesh conscious, this seems difficult, hard, impossible in many ways. If you're spirit conscious, you go, this is doable because this is the new nature. This is what's in me now. And I can bear up under all persecutions, never say of any trial, affliction, or insult, this cannot be endured. You still with me? I've known of testimonies of marriages, one spouse or the other, where they were being mistreated. Now, I don't mean their life threatened. I'm just mean not being treated very nice at all. And yet they kept believing for their spouse to change. I mean, I've given you the example before. I know this kind of dates you, you know. Anybody ever know of the show called The Love Boat? The Love Boat. What are we talking about love? Right? Uh, Gavin McLeod, who was the main guy, the main character on the love boat, he actually, he was the captain of the boat. He actually, during that time of his life, had gotten involved in adulterous relationships on his wife. She was a believer. He was not. And he finally said, enough's enough. I'm out of here. He left her. But you know what she did? <clears throat> she endured all things. She said, that's my husband. God has not told me to release him. And even though he's mistreated me all these years with all these other affairs and stuff, I'm going to endure all that and keep loving him in spite of it and praying and believing God. And I believe he'll come back. And she was so in faith. Faith without is, you know what she did? She said every night, she set a plate for him at, at the dinner table just like he was going to be there with her. And she put food, food on it, but she set a dinner plate. And she would pick it up after, but she'd set it. So I did that every night. Knowing just like my husband was there, if he was there, what would I do? I'd set his dinner plate for him. Right. And this went on for a couple years maybe, year and a half, two years or something. He get, she gets a call from him one night and he said, listen, I don't even expect you to take my call, but I just wanted you to know because I know I'm sure you've been praying for me. I gave my life to Jesus tonight at a church service. And I'm born again. So I want you to know your prayers had some effect. I, I was really an idiot the way I treated you. What did love do? Endured all of that. Didn't give up. 
So many people are so quick to give up today. Didn't give up. No, I endured all that. She went, she endured all that. So she, he said, you know, I don't expect you to even talk to me. No, 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 I understand. She said, oh, wonderful, praise God. How would you like to meet and get together for dinner or something? Okay, so they did. Well, long story short, they restored their relationship. They got remarried because they had officially divorced. Then they actually had a ministry to couples for many, many years. I don't know if they still do, but they did. So I'm telling you folks, love can do what? It can endure all kinds of stuff. Love can endure, not you. As an individual, context of the old nature, love can. The new you can. I shouldn't say not you, the, the old you, the new you can. 16, love never what? So this means it has no end. Therefore, it is what? It never stops loving. In other words, uh, in Jeremiah, um, I want to make sure I get the proper address. Maybe I better go look at it real quick. Hold on to 1 Corinthians. Stay there. Jeremiah, I think it is uh, 31. 15 or... I love this verse, man. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And you got to remind yourself that this is me now because I'm a born again child of God. I have this in me. Huh? 31, Jeremiah 31. Verse 3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have what? Drawn you. God's love is what? Everlasting. everlasting. Meaning what? Number 16, it never fails. It has no end. God's love has no end. God's love has no end. It's like what Peter said, you know, when, when he was talking about the deal of having to forgive people. Well, Lord, how many times do we have to forgive people? Well, guess what? There is no end to love, so there's no end to you forgiving. That's right. Amen? Because love is forever. It's eternal. So you don't ever put a point in your life to say, well, once I get here, I stop loving them. Who said? Right. Who said? God still loves every sinner that's in hell. Why? He's love. He's never stopped loving them. Why? Because he has an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness, I have what? Drawn you. And guaranteed, that's what Gavin's wife did. She kept walking in love, and guess what she did? She drew her husband back. So again, love never fails. It has no end. Therefore, it never what? It never stops loving. Why does it never stop loving? Because God's love, if you want to write this down in your notes there, I've given this to you before. The agape love of God basically is a threefold type of love. All those things we just defined... Imagine the difference of your life if you really took the time to really spend some time going through that day after day after day after day. And every place the words love you use, you can say, I, me, I endure long. I suffer long. You listening? I'm kind. I'm patient. I endure all things. Why? Because like God, that new nature's in you and that's a part of you. When we say God is love, well, guess what you are? You're in his image. You're in his likeness, so guess what you now are? Your love. Your new spirit, man, is love. Can I get a better amen? But love, basically, in, in the context of God's love, not the world's love, is a threefold dimension of actual love. Threefold dimension of actual love, which I think is kind of cool because you got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they all, of course, walk in that love completely. But the love of God is what? It's unconditional. It puts no conditions on another to actually love them. So it doesn't put a condition on it. If you treat me good, I'll treat you good. That's not God's love. God's love is unconditional. Secondly, God's love is what? Sacrificial. Gives of itself. Right? We've even seen that in these definitions. 
It's sacrificial. I say it this way. Love is willing to lay down what I want, listen carefully, for what God wants. Love is not willing to lay down what I want for what somebody else wants because what if what somebody else wants ain't of God? Well, that wouldn't be good. But love is always willing to lay down what I want for what God wants in every aspect of your life. Marriage, it doesn't matter. And then the third thing love is, is love is what? It's continual. It's forever, lasting. It doesn't, love doesn't stop loving. I said love doesn't stop loving. Amen? So we've defined love in major aspects of what Scripture teaches, major definitions of what love is. Let's look at some of the aspects of why it's so important for us to walk in love. So if you back up here in 1 Corinthians 13 to verse 1, we'll start seeing the significance of why this is so critical for you and me to walk in the love of God. Verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men... And of angels, but have not love, I become what? Sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Sounding brass here is like the sound of a trumpet. The sound of a trumpet. A clanging cymbal. So it's like this little clanging thing that they use like in a, you know, in a, in a, in a uh, big uh, orchestra. They can use it or, or even a, a little gong or a little triangle thing. So let me explain. If I'm not walking in love, guess what I sound like to others? You just sound like a really loud noise. The, the phrase here, a clanging cymbal, guess what? A clanging cymbal has no harmony to it. So I'm not walking in harmony with God. If I'm not walking in harmony with God, what I'm saying really just sounds really loud and brash. So what you're going to do is you're going to hinder people's ability to hear from heaven what God has to say through you or how you want to convey things in relationship to others. If you're not walking in love, all you're doing is sounding like what we would recognize. I, as a kid growing up, this is how I relate it, sorry, but I, I was a Snoopy fan. Anybody Snoopy fans when you were growing up? So, you know, watching Charlie Brown, right? So remember the teacher in their class? When she spoke, what is that? Wah, 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 wah. If you're walking out of love and you're talking to people, guess what you sound like? Wah, 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 wah. You're, you're not going to convey anything really that's going to help anybody. Amen. 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 You're not going to change lives. You're not going to help the situation. You're just going to make it worse. So the first thing is you're just simply making a lot of noise if you're not walking in love. It's making a lot of noise. You might be trying to convey stuff to people, say things to somebody, but if, you're not, if it's not motivated out of love, you're just making a bunch of noise. Verse 2, though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, which he got by direct revelation from the Lord, and though I have all faith, because to walk in prophecy and understand the mysteries takes faith, you don't, you don't walk in prophecy and walk in understanding of mysteries without faith. That takes faith for those things to operate. You understand that? So that I can also remove mountains. So what he's talking about here is operating in faith. To operate in prophecy, you got to operate in faith. You got to have faith in the gift of prophecy or the ability to prophesy. To walk in understanding of all mysteries takes faith. It takes faith in God to be able to hear from God to know what God wants to speak to you. But also even faith to do what? To remove mountains. But if I have not love, guess what? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I am going to, in essence, see in my life nothing different happen than somebody else who doesn't know God. I'm nothing. I'm not going to see the power of God work. I'm not going to see the function of God work in my life. Why? Faith works through love. So if you're not walking in love, guess what he's telling you there on, on verse number two? Your faith is not going to work. 
It is not going to work. For your faith to work, you got to do what? You got to walk in love. He said he had faith to move, even though if I had, again, notice the phrase, and though I have all faith so that I could remove. Not that I am. That I could remove mountains. But yet if I don't have love, it's not going to work. Verse 3, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, listen to this, I give my body to be burned, offer up my body as a sacrifice to the Lord for his service, but have not love, guess what? It profits me nothing. Now, wait a minute. I thought if we give, it's given unto us. Not if it ain't done in love. Read it again. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. All my goods means my wealth. Though I give all of my wealth to feed the poor, if I don't do it in love, guess what that does for me? doesn't profit me a bit. Well, I thought when you give, it shall be given if you're doing it in love. Because again, when you're giving, you're giving, you're, you're giving is supposed to be based on the love of God and therefore released in faith. I saw something a friend posted today. It was really good as an example, given the tithe. Do you pay your tithes and offerings like you pay a bill? Some Christians do. When you pay a bill, you probably don't like to pay the bill, but you know what? You know you got to if you want to keep the lights on or keep the water running. Do you give your tithes and offerings like paying a bill like you got to? Because if you do, there's no love involved in it. If that's true, guess what? It profits you nothing. It takes faith to receive God's promise. Right? So God promised if you give, I'll multiply your seed. It takes faith to receive that. It won't just happen because he said it. What God says about, uh, about what we have as a promise in Scripture in the New Testament, how many have figured out it don't just happen because God said it. By his stripes you are healed, but that don't happen just because he said it. It's a truth, you are healed. But again, it's not going to work just because he said it. You've got to have faith to see it work. Correct? So is it with the return of what you give. And if you don't give in love, guess what? It ain't profiting you anything. If you're not seeing the return God promised, you ought to check your love walk. And you ought to make sure what you're doing is you're giving in love. Any good amens on that? So these are key things that he's talking about before he ever gets into finding love of why it's so critical to walk in love. Now back to down a little further here, back to verse 8. So love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. In other words, when you get to heaven, you won't need any of those things. There'll be no prophecy needed. There'll be no tongues and interpretation needed. You listening? There will be no quote-unquote need for knowledge because you'll know as you're known. Right? Verse 9, for we know in this type of time that we're living in, we know in part. We prophesy in part. Nobody has all the answers. Only God does. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. What is the perfect that has come? When we are fully perfected, when will that happen? When Jesus returns. Amen. Verse 11, while you're still on the planet, notice what he says here. When I was a child, what did I do? I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man. So this is talking about developing maturity as a spiritual believer, developing in your maturity as a spiritual uh, child of God. But when I became a man, I put away what? So clearly love does what? Love doesn't live like a child or an immature believer because that clearly is not going to be a disciple. So what does love do? It speaks in a proper manner. It understands things. 
that a child would not understand. And it thinks in a way that children don't think. Because what does it do? It literally speaks like God does. Love does. It understands like God does. And it also does what? Thinks like God thinks. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when we're before him face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be, I shall know just as I'm also known, as I also am known. 13, and now abide, say now. Now Now abide, faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest again is what? Because guess what? Everything else that goes on in your life as a believer hangs on it. I want you to notice the very beginning of the next chapter of the first verse. What's the first two words? Read them to me, please. Watch this. Anybody here uh, that is believing with us, whether you come for prayer on Monday nights or not, believing with us to see the the final uh, wave of what God's talked about of his glory to come into the church. Watch this. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially in this case that you may prophesy, simple prophecy, edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. But notice what he said before he talked about desiring spiritual gifts. What did he say to do? Pursue love. love. Why? Because if you don't pursue love, guess what you won't see? You will not see the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation if you're not pursuing love. If you're not pursuing love, you're not going to see these gifts in operation in the way God wants them to operate. How do we pursue love? How do we pursue love? We pursue God. God is love. So we pursue him so that we can walk in what he has made us to be. And as we pursue walking in that very new life and desire spiritual gifts, guess what what we will see? I'm going to show it to you. Guess what we'll see? The manifestation of what God wants to bring. Can I get a good amen on that? Real quick, go to Isaiah 60. Look at this prophecy we've looked at before. Times talking about the end times. Does anybody really want to see the manifest glory of God? I'm going to do a teaching this year on the glory of God. It's amazing how many times you see over and over and over and over again in Scripture the glory of God. And it's really the manifest presence of God. It's shown in many ways. A cloud, a bright light, all kinds of different ways. Brother Hagin was talking about in a service one time. He said, we're in this service. And he said, literally, you could, you could just sense God moving in that service before we saw this happen. But everybody in the room, imagine if we could get this to happen, a Christian faith fellowship. Everybody in the room, singers on the platform, everybody in the sanctuary, all their voices are lifted like one. It sounded like one voice in the room. Every heart. They weren't just singing the songs. Eyes closed. Man, he said, I'm on the platform. And I'm looking at the people, and it looked like one total voice lifted to God. Nobody looking around. Everybody's eyes closed, hands lifted, worshiping God. And he said, a bright light came into that room and filled that room where I couldn't even see anybody. It just filled that room. And after that light left, there was all kinds of people down at the altar giving their lives to Jesus. There was miracles breaking out in the room. was the glory of God. But what happened? They all became as one. In worshiping God, how does that actually affect the glory of God? Well, guess what God is? What are you pursuing in worship? Preaching better than your amen. See, I hear people all the time say they want this glory. What are you doing to pursue love? Watch this. Isaiah 60. You still with me? You're going to be glad you came tonight. This is better than the Super Bowl, I promise. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise and shine 
I want to reveal this verse to you tonight. Arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Who is the glory of the Lord arisen upon? Those who arise and therefore shine. He's telling us to arise and to shine because the glory of the Lord has come. Well, guess what? That's now available to every born-again believer. So we know this is prophetic of the day that you and I live in. Verse 2, for behold, darkness shall cover what? You noticing this around you? Darkness will cover what? Shouldn't cover you. I'm going to show you how you can keep it off you. And I'm going to show you how you can do exactly what verse 1 said and have the glory of the Lord upon you. Watch this. Darkness shall uh, cover the earth and deep darkness the people. Right? Remember I told you I was ref- going to refer back to this? I'm going to refer back to it. I'm going to read it to you. John 13 again. What happens if you and I walk in love? All will know. I'm going to read it again. Verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples. All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm going to tell you how they're going to know. They're going to see the glory on you. That's how they're going to know. There's something different about them. They might not even know you're a disciple of Jesus, but they know you ain't normal. You still with me? For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will do what? Come on, somebody. Tell me out loud. He will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. What's the glory? It is the same as referring to the light. Walking in the light is how, I want to say it this way. You might want to write this down. This is fresh off the Holy Ghost Press. Walking in the light is how you manifest the glory. Walking in the light is how you manifest the glory. If the glory is upon you, John 13, 35 will come to pass. All will know you are my disciples because you have what? Love for one another. What does that have to do with light and the glory? I'm about to show you. But the Lord will arise over you, verse 3, and his glory will be what? Tell me. Come on. It will be seen upon. It will be noticeable. You won't have to go around telling people you're a believer. You won't have to go around telling people that you can power, help them with the power. They'll notice it on you. Look at verse 3. The Gentiles, those who don't know God. This is why a lot of Gentiles are not coming to Jesus right now because there ain't a whole lot of Christians walking around with the glory on them. The Gentiles shall come to. What will they come to? What will they come to? All right, for the sake of time, because I'm running out of time, right behind the word light there, I want you to write a note. I want you to put a little note next to it, and I want you to put the word love. What will the Gentiles come to? Your love. What will love do? Cause the glory to get on you. Why is the glory not manifesting on the church? We're not walking in the love of God like we should. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But what if I just desire spiritual gifts? Then it won't work. You got to pursue love. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings even. The kings to the brightness of your rising. People of prominence who truly obviously will recognize and notice that there's something different about you. Are you still with me? Go to 1 John. Arise and shine. How do we arise and how do we shine, pastor? How do we arise and shine? 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. What are they going to come to? The light. 
And, I, and I'm tying back to John 13, 35. How will they know you're my disciples? Well, let me help you. They're going to see the glory on you. How are they going to know that? Because of the love you have for one another. How do you get the glory on you? Through the love of God. Without the love of God, you're not going to rise and you will not shine. Watch this. 1 John chapter 1. You still with me? Verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message which we have heard from him, Jesus, and we declare to you God is light. What is he? Tell me out loud. God is light and in him is what? No darkness at all. So God is light. Underline that phrase. What does 1 John 4, 3 say? God is love. See, I'm sorry. 1 John, it's 4, 8. I was misquoting. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. What's 1 John 1, 5 saying God is? God is light. Light and love are the same thing. God is light and in him is what? No darkness at all. If no darkness is in him, why is no darkness in him? Because he is light. He therefore has his glory shining from him, his manifest presence. And darkness can't overtake him. Six, if we say that we have fellowship with him. Fellowship means if we say we're really close to God, we walk close with God. But yet we walk in what? Darkness. We lie and don't practice the truth. Meaning we're really not as close to him as we think we are. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light, if we walk in the what? If we walk in the what? If we walk in the what? What are the Gentiles going to come to? They're going to come to your light because your light is going to manifest the glory of God. If we walk in the light as he, God is in the light, what do we do? We have fellowship with one another. We walk in unity as a church. And the blood of Jesus Christ does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Now, for the sake of time, because you have to drop down here to chapter 2. I I can't read all through that. You can read through it later. Go to verse 4 of chapter 2. 1 John 2 verse 4. He who says, I know him, God, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth's not in him. Oh, if I say I know God, I'm intimate with God, but I don't keep his commandments. I'm not really as intimate with God as I think I am. Five, whoever keeps his word, truly the what? Love of God is what? Perfected in him. Or in other words, come to a place of maturity. And by this we now know that we're in what? We're in him. He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Was Jesus noticeable to the Gentiles and the people around him? Absolutely. What was on his life? The glory of God. They knew there was something different about him. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you. What did he say in verse 5? Whoever keeps his word, the love of God is perfected in him. Verse 4, he said clearly that if we say we know God, we keep his commandments. Right? 7, verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light... So verse 7 and 8, not, it, it confuses people. What he's saying is, God's told you from the Old Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, all your strength, and love one another as yourself. But guess what? Until now, that love wasn't in you. Wasn't in you. But now it is, the light's come. So because it is, I'm giving you a new commandment. It's not really a new one, but it's new to us now because now you have that light in you. Verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brothers is is what? Now, circle, highlight, or make a note of verse 10 and write a little note next to their Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. 
He who loves his brother abides in the light. He who loves his brother abides in the light. Abides in the light. Arise. Shine. Why? Because the glory of the Lord has come. You listening? He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no what? Cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So how do we walk in the light? We walk in love. When you walk in love, what do you do? When you walk in the love of God, what do you do? You arise. Come on, church, help me out. Go back to Isaiah 60 in closing. Go back here again. Let's read it again. How do I arise and shine, pastor? How do I shine? How do I shine? How do I shine? Arise and shine. Doesn't a light shine? How do you arise and shine? Walk in love. If you'll arise into the very light that God's given you to walk in love, because your light is what? Come. See, it's now come for us. It's now in us. We now have it. I said, we now have it. That love is in you. Come on, somebody. Your light has come. Say, my light has come. What do you need to do? Walk in it. Arise and shine. Put on the light. This is why you got to understand. I'll get on this next Sunday. This is why you got to understand. If you really want to see the glorious manifestations of God, boy, you better really work on your love walk. So again, no, that's why he starts off before he gets into all the gifts of the Spirit. In, in uh, Corinthians, that's why he starts off with do what? Pursue love. First words out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Notice this again. Arise and shine. So how do I arise and shine, Pastor? You get up into the love walk. If you arise and you shine, why are you shining? You're walking in the light. What's the light? The love of God. Why does he use the term arise? Because you're rising up above the world. You're rising up above the way normal man lives. You're not living like normal man. You're rising up into God's way of living. That's right. And you're shining by walking in the love of God. This is why every situation, you've got to so deal with your flesh in relationship to your spouse, to your friends, to your family, to co-workers, to other people. You need to remind yourself all the time, do I want to allow my flesh to get me in a position to get out of love, to rob me from the glory of God coming on my life? Because that's exactly what's going to happen. This is why the devil don't want you walking in love. He don't want God's glory to be seen. Any good amens on that? Arise and shine. Arise and shine. Arise and do what? Get in the light. Why? Because the light's now come. What's the light? God's love. And the glory of the Lord will then do what? It it, it will be risen upon you. Behold, darkness will cover the earth. Yes, it will. Deep darkness to people. But what would happen for those who begin to walk in the love of God? What will happen for those who truly get into a place to walk in the very love that God's already given them? Notice again, even though darkness will cover the people, guess what? The Lord will arise over you. Why does it say the Lord will? Where the glory is manifest, I'm, I'm getting way out of time here. Where the glory is manifest, his authority is known. Where the lordship, lordship, where the glory is manifest, his authority is known. He is Lord in that situation. Yes. He's in authority in that situation. Amen. The Lord will arise over you, and therefore his glory will be what? What will it be? Seen what? 
Come on, tell me. It will be undeniable. It will be seen upon you. People will see it. They'll recognize it, man. They'll notice there is something unique, different. I don't, it won't be like them saying, oh, you got some kind of karma or something. No, they'll be like, man, I don't get it, man. But I'll tell you what, I wished I knew what you knew. I wished I had what you had. This is why people were drawn to Jesus. Verse 3, the Gentiles shall even come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes, verse 4, all around and see. They all gather together to come to who? To you. Why? Because they see the light. They see the light. They see the love of God, which now gives way to the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, and it draws them. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become what? Oh, come on. You shall shall radiate with the glory of God. And your heart shall swell with joy. Your heart shall swell with joy. Your heart shall swell with joy. You'll be joyous people. See, you can tell people that walk in love, they're full of joy. Because the abundance of the sea shall be what? Turned to you. And the wealth of the Gentiles shall do what? You could care less. You're not after the wealth. You don't, if you're walking in love, you're not after the wealth. But it'll come. Can I get a better amen? Again, he says, you will see and become radiant. Your heart will swell with what? All right, Galatians 5, real quick. I'm sorry, but I'm going to obey God. Galatians 5. So I've taught you this. This is why you got to pursue love. If you don't pursue love, if you truly want to see miracles, signs, and wonders, guess what you got to do? Let me help you. Let me, let me say it in a couple different ways. For us as a church to see the glory of God in and upon our church, guess what we got to do? Come into unity. Brother Hagen one time asked the Lord, he said, I don't understand it. He said, I go from church to church. At this time in his ministry, he went for no less than three weeks for, for uh, a time that he was in a church. No less than three weeks minimum. Those three weeks he taught twice a day, morning session, evening service. They took Saturdays off. They did that for three weeks. He said there were churches he would go into, the gifts would just flow like no problem. Just flow like easy as as could be. He said, then I'd go to other churches. People were sincere. They were dedicated. They were committed. No gifts. I'd fast twice as much. I'd pray twice as much. No results. And finally, I told the Lord, I don't understand why I go into certain churches and the gifts just flow. When the gifts are flowing, what do we got going on? The glory of God. The gifts just flow in manifestation. Why is it, Lord, in certain churches I go to that that doesn't happen? He said there's multiple reasons, but one of them is because they don't desire the gifts. If they don't desire the gifts in that church, they're not going to happen. They're not putting a demand on me. One of the other reasons, he said, was because they're ignorant of the gifts. But another reason was because they're not walking in the love of God. If they're not walking in love, what are they not walking in? God. If you're not walking in God, guess who you're not welcoming in your service? God. I'll say it again. If you're not walking in love, guess who you're not welcoming in your service? God. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? What's the second one? What did he say over there? If you walk in the light, your, your heart will swell with what? Joy. Notice the next one. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Understand this very clearly. If you walk in love, guess what will be the result of love? All the rest of the fruit. You listening? If you walk in love, guess what you're not going to be lacking? Joy. Guess what you're not going to be lacking? Peace. Guess what you're not going to be lacking? Long-suffering. Kindness. Goodness. 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some years back, the Lord told me, he said, son, you could take time to focus on all those if you want, or you could do what I gave you as a commandment. Walk in love, and all, those rest, all the rest of those will follow. Love's the first fruit I gave you. You walk in love, all the rest come with it. You're not going to walk in my love and not be full of joy. These are great indicators. I look at the rest of the fruit of the Spirit of the nine. I look at the other eight as an indicator. How much love am I walking in? Some of you will get that tomorrow after lunch. If I'm not walking in long-suffering, guess what I'm not doing? Not walking in love. If I've lost my peace, guess what I'm not doing? If I'm not walking in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not walking in love. But if I'm walking in love, all those things are given. So when you come to the fruit of the Spirit, you don't have to focus on all nine. Just focus on one. Walk in love and all the rest will be a part of the byproduct of love. And most importantly for the last day's church, again, anybody want to get in on this move of the last day's church? Guess what we got to do? Walk in love. Why in the worship, all of a sudden them uniting as one, did these things start manifesting, these glorious things that happened? I mean, I give you example after example of things he talked about that happened in those services. Why did it happen in relationship to worship? Because when your heart's focused on God, you're focused on love. You're filling the room with love. Now thinking about you, it's not about the worship leader. It's not about the worship team. It's not about the song you sing. It's about the one you're singing to. And he's love. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.